this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This episode is sponsored by Whispers by number one New York Times bestselling author Lisa Jackson. Whispers explores a family's twisted legacy of lies and murder. It's been 16 years since Claire fled in terror from her family's home in a small town on the Oregon coast. 16 years since her fiance's tragic death and the shocking secret she promised never to reveal to anyone. But that was before journalist Kane Moran began probing the mystery of that horrible night, turning a light on the darkest corners of Claire's life. Now, as Claire returns home to face a past she's tried to forget, another body is unearthed, revealing the twisted nature of a killer who is ready at last to make Claire pay the ultimate price. Whispers by Lisa Jackson is available everywhere books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 132, and we're recording on Thursday, November 12th, 2015. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm not here with Rebecca Sins. I'm here with Rebecca Sins, but not here like we were last week. Coming, uh, to, you t- coming, coming to, to you through not, a series of tubes. Yeah, we're coming to you for the inner tubes uh, and from bookriot.com. Uh, Rebecca, it's been... I, can, I don't even know how many days it's been. I'm not sure how many days have passed since Book Riot Live. I think um, it's been less than three days since we've seen each it other. It does feel that way. We're we're hung. We have Book Riot Live hangover or afterglow or some combination. Both and uh, an afterhang or something. I'm not really <laughs> sure what we've got. You can hear my voice is still croaky. Yeah, uh, I'm a little uh, after dark sounding, even though it's noon here. <laughs> but oh boy, did we have a good time! It was so amazing. I don't know if we said on the live recording or not that. That event, our podcast was the first thing of Book Riot Live. We were the very first session, and there was, a, I think, a world building panel happening opposite of us. But if you've listened to the live show, you heard us at the very beginning of the event, and then we experienced two more days of book nerd glory. Yeah, we um, came first out of the shoot, 10 a.m. on Saturday, and we had a packed our our, our man, stage was packed for the recording. It was so much fun. Dare I say it was even uh, uh, bordering on raucous? The live recording at it that was. time in the morning. It was it was definitely raucous for ten a.m. and you and I were certainly in after dark form. <laughs> oh, I was I was juiced, man. We were we were cooking uh, along there, but we met so many listeners. Um, across both days. Thank you guys so much. We had yes. people from Australia come. From Dublin. From Dublin, people from London, people f- from Atlanta. California. Uh, North Carolina, uh, the Pacific Northwest, Chicago. Um, it really blown away, I have it to was, say. It was really incredible. Thank you so much to all of you who came and hung out with us and who made the thing what it is. You know, that like it felt to me so warm and community-ish and like Jen and I were talking afterwards about how it was kind of like a family reunion crossed with like book nerd summer camp. Yeah, definitely. Um, But it had a family reunion feel because so much, you know, so many of you talk to us elsewhere online that we've gotten to know you and you've gotten to know each other. And it was, um, I, it was like really humbling in in so many ways and so exciting and it just it couldn't have happened without the listeners and the readers of the site and it was awesome. So we had uh, more than eleven hundred people were there over two days uh, and I feel like I talked to almost every. I, I made an mm-hmm. effort to talk yeah. to as many people as I could. I had a, a quota of two hundred and I, I I talked to two hundred people at least and I stopped keeping track after that. But and thank you to so many of you who just like cold came up to me and said hi and whatever and yes and you know I like the thing or you know I know you do this I I really appreciate that. Um, uh, people from Baltimore, a woman, the very first thing out of the gate oh. registration from Baltimore. Um, came up to me and said very nice things that really, you know, I, I it was I almost felt something to be honest. Like I, <laughs> we did I, have a lot of feelings. The beginnings of a feeling were stirred uh, there. Um, Anna and, and Jake from Florida, and you guys, uh, Amanda, science science housewife, and Black White Red Books, and Ballet Bookworm, Lisa Eckstein, like and the whole OG thing. OG first listener. Um, so I just want to shout you guys out, Dave Bessem and and uh, his wife. I the blanking on mm-hmm. her name met her the last day. Um, thank you guys so much for coming. I hope you had a good time. If you've got feedback for us, I think those of you coming 
that 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 attended are going to get a survey response form here in the coming days, week or so. Um, but also feel free to email us directly at podcast at bookriot.com if you've got anything for us specifically. Um, thank you so much for coming. We, ha- we had a great time. And we're going to do something like this again at some yeah, point. Yeah, we're, we're going to be a little cagey for the next week or yeah. two, probably, while you know things get hammered down. But there will be a link in the show notes yeah. for you to be signed up to be notified of future Book Riot events. Keep your ears uh, to the uh, information superhighway. You can take that to mean whatever you want it to mean. Yeah. Um, but it'll be there, and we certainly hope to meet more of you the next time around. Um, before any we get surprises to... for the event? Any, oh, I mean, anything? Any surprises? It went super smooth. I mean, I think it that's did. one thing, and that's it a credit to went... our events director, Jen Northington. Yes. But we also didn't have any, like, everyone showed up, you know, right. like, everybody you know, showed all up. the speakers showed up. It was so great. We did live recordings of all the shows. Reading Live's um, guest was Angela Flournoy. Uh, Daniel Henderson was the guest on uh, the Dear Book Nerd. You and Lib did um, uh, a all live the all the books. There was a live O Comics. Sarah McLean guested on Get Booked with Amanda, and they did a full show. Of which personal. is body. Which it if, is so body. It is excellent. If you if you enjoyed us working blue on the last episode, we were barely we, we were barely uh, aquamarine compared to them <laughs> uh, on their live recording. Um, so you could go check and. So many great authors and and panels, and you can still see if if you're still interested mm-hmm. in, in the uh, retrospect, you can see the programming there. But also, if you want to hit the br live hashtag on Twitter and Instagram, you can go back and uh, we were trending on Twitter for a couple of days. For both very, days, we trended on days, Twitter both days um, for a couple of times. And Atwood, who was unbelievable, she is the most game lady I've oh ever met. Oh my god, she was talking to people, just wandering. She went up to all the vendors and checked out our, you know, Bookwitty was our presenting sponsor. Mm-hmm. Talked to them and signed up for an account. She bought some books. She looked around. She took she pictures. She got a litographs temporary tattoo. Yeah, she got a temporary tattoo. She she talked to anyone who would want to talk to her and took pictures and hung out at the Strand. She was just like wandering around talking to people and and drinking and. She's smart as a whip, the she smartest was, person in the room, and, and still game. And golly, she was so great. she was so awesome. And you know, everybody was cool too. Like, yes, everyone was cool. You put yes, somebody like Margaret Atwood into a cocktail party, and you just have to hope that no one loses it about Margaret Atwood, or like tries to dominate her time, or says yeah. something inappropriate to her. And in a, not that we think Book Riot people would do that, but like in any time you get eleven hundred people together, there's a chance that somebody's gonna go off the rails and nobody went off the rails all weekend we heard nothing but great things about all of the attendees from staff and from speakers and from each other so good job people on keeping it cool and not losing it when you met margaret atwood yeah it was it was i guess we made it clear or the people who came self-selected but there was no one trying to flog their manuscript i mean there's a time and a place for that i don't think you shouldn't promote your work but like Coming up to someone cold, you know, that was something that's something that sometimes happened at sure, BEA yeah, or other places, right. but it's an industry event. So I guess that was one of the things like, is do people understand like just to be cool and like enjoy each other's time? God, everyone was great. It was so, so great. People so. were just awesome. I don't think that I've had 48 hours where I felt better about humanity in general. Oh, I know. In a, <laughs> in a long time. I know. It was like Reddit, but the opposite. Um, <laughs> the, opposite of the opposite of Reddit. The opposite of Reddit. Okay, we we got one quick uh, other merch announcement. You want to talk about? We'll yeah, talk about I'm that. super excited about this. Um, those of you who subscribe to the quarterly box um, will remember getting an awesome beanie hat last year that said books across it. And many of you who don't subscribe to the box later were sad that you didn't because you didn't get the hat. Um, so we've waited. That hat was exclusive to the quarterly subscribers for a year. And now it's been a year and you can get the books hat in the Book Riot store. It's gray. It says books in gold across the brim. Um, it's only 14 bucks. So store.bookriot.com to get that. They're awesome. I wore mine all winter. I'm going to wear it all winter again. And we saw some of them this weekend. People we were did. wearing them. Dave Bessem rocked his yeah, books Lisa hat did too, all I weekend. Lisa seeing. wore hers. Um, it's just so so cute. I mean, who doesn't want to spend your winter with a hat on that says books? Um, So check that out, store.bookriot.com. We have lots of new items coming for the winter, and there's always a good sale or a deal happening on something. So pick that up and bundle up bookish this year. Speaking of bundling up, it's November. Mm-hmm. And I, you heard this thing before, the Movember thing? You've heard of this. I ha- that's yeah. the thing where dudes don't shave for November, They don't right? shave for November um, as a way of raising, a wellness for, uh, raising awareness for men's health. I wouldn't know because no one shaves in Portland. So it all looks like it's <laughs> like it's like eternal mon- uh, Movember here. Um, but that reminds me that you do need to shave sometimes. 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yes, when it's Sometimes not Sometimes you do. I think, you know, it's not just your face that you shave. You got other things you need to shave. I don't <laughs> think there. I don't think there are raising awareness, growing campaigns for other parts. Of, I don't know, but I don't want to know about them if they don't. I'm nervous right now. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll back away from that one. <laughs> Let's roll that one back. Yeah. but but Harry's is also participating in Movember, and they want to promote it as well. Harry's.com, as you know, is where you go to get great razor blades and razor handles and shaving products at a great price without the hassle of going to CVS and uh, trying to trying to do an Ocean's Eleven to get the blades from behind the thing and then pay it. And it's like, it's like doing Ocean's Eleven to get the, the razor blades from behind the plastic security thing and then you got to cope with them, but then you have to pay to do it. It's like it's like paying to rob someone is what it feels like when you're when you're buying razor blades for ten thousand dollars a piece at the the grocery store or the pharmacy or Walmart or wherever you're going, but with Harry's you get the quality of the best quality blades you're gonna find at the pharmacy for way cheaper, much less hassle. You do it all online. They bought their own German blade factory, which it sounds less terrifying. It's less terrifying than it sounds. German but blade factory. But it's serious factory. business. Serious, serious business. business. They got one of these old giant, like, you know, it's, it's hard to make thin, sharp razor blades out of really hard material. You need a lot of horsepower. You need a lot of material. Um, so they were, they were contracting out with these guys, and they're like, you know what? We're just going to buy the freaking thing. Uh, so they did. They set out. They said, buying razor blades is both hard and expensive and unfun, and the quality is not great. And we think we can do something about that. So Harry's starting set is an amazing deal. With the code book, go to harrys.com, use code book on checkout. You can get it for just 10 bucks. You get a handle, a couple blades, some samples of stuff. That's what it is. It's a superior shave for an incredible price. Um, so you, the, the packaging is beautiful. People have, you know, it's uh, holiday time. Mm-hmm. You have someone that appreciates the finer things in life, would like a premium quality shaving experience, who has hair. Anyone you have, you know who has hair probably, you know, the Target demo. Well, we've established on previous episodes that we do all grow hair. We do. I mean, there, there are some notable exceptions to that, but just like any generalization, you know, if, if you've got uh, uh, alopecia or something like that where you don't grow hair. But, but for most of us, we have to, we have to, we've got hair management. That's an ongoing part of our, our corporeal existence. And Harry's makes it just a little bit easier. This is one of those cases where, like, you, people talk about disruption and blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. this is one of those situations like, yes, this, yes. this is what I'm looking for right here. I want to get razor blades that are good, that aren't cheap, and I don't have to, to you know, to, to talk to the, the guy behind the register to go get the special plastic key you to take it off the thing. You don't even have to leave the house. You don't. You don't even have. What's weird is you have to leave the house less so you don't need to shave as much. <laughs> So it's true. I well, don't know. It's maybe if maybe if we get this right, none of us will ever have to shave ever again, and Harry's will fulfill its ultimate destiny to to make <laughs> shaving as painless as possible by making shaving itself obsolete. I'm not sure that's on the business plan. No, I don't. May not. They, uh, they can. That's free. They can take but, that. You know, you couldn't do any better than Harry's razors if you were observing Movember and yes. you grew a beard and then you decided to shave it off on December 1st, you would need a good blade yep. for okay. that project. So that's harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, enter code book. Thank them so much for their continuing support. I always look forward to our special time with our <laughs> Harry's ad reads. It feels very cleansing. Okay. Uh, hmm. It's, we're getting to the end of the year here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't really talked. The first, the, first, the first best books of 2015 list I saw was on October 31st, Publishers Weekly. They did the, too it, soon, man. They did it's the, too uh, soon. The book world, the book media for, uh, version of first in the comments section with that. Um, but we're also, before we get to that, Amazon did their best books of 2015. Before we get to that, we're getting some rumblings that ebook sales are not going that great. Um, the, the, we recently saw Publishers Weekly uh, at HarperCollins, 23.6% decline relative to the similar period in 2014. Um, for ebooks, mm-hmm. total revenue rose by less than one percent, but without the benefit of August twenty four. Okay, rev- okay, blah blah blah. Um, weak sales performance on. So they one thing is they're comparing to Divergent. They right. had Divergent. The movie came out, so that's a weird comp. Yeah, but, it's not. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I would um, say it's not necessarily. <laughs> you go. No, you. No, can. no, you. No, please. No, please. You uh, go. It it seems like they're not clear. So we're not clear on whether this is a like really a dip in 
the health of ebook mm-hmm. or if it's that there was nothing equivalent to divergent and so those numbers last year were uh, inflated though we did have ghost at a watchman though that's true but um, ghost at a watchman did better in print than ebook well that's true uh that's true sns also had um some difficulty with digital sales they fell let's see from 28 28- Point three percent of total SNS revenue to twenty four point eight percent doesn't sound like that big a deal, but it's a it's a it's a relative fifteen percent drop over last year in digital book sales, and we don't know if like maybe they also had uh, an outlier. Um, it also could be that one thing that's happened is that agency pricing has come back. The prices of ebooks have gone up, as I'm sure most of you who buy ebooks at all have realized. Gone are the days really of a of a front list premium title for 999 right, right. Um, i'm seeing a lot of 1299s 1499s and even above so um i don't know that they, they might be doing this on purpose like maybe to protect the print business they're okay mm. with stunting the growth of the ebook business i'm just not sure uh, so i don't know what do you think is this something There's... to be pay attention to this is we need more where, where are you going with this yeah you know i think we're both more interested in the overall health of the book business and yeah. those numbers continue to look strong. Um, so I'm not worried that ebook sales are declining, especially since there wasn't a huge outlier series this year um, to support that. I think it's interesting further down in this Publishers Weekly piece, there's a note that digital audio sales had a solid third quarter yeah. performance, but total digital sales, which would mean broadly ebooks, fell. And we talked previously about how strong ebooks are coming and how, you know, anecdotally you've gone to hardcover and audio for your reading. And we know some of our um, readers have diverted back to that, that people who were big ebook adopters are sort of leveling out or they're consuming digital books differently uh, by digital audio rather than digital ebooks. That's certainly what I'm doing, not to make it about me, but... It's an interesting thing to follow um, what, you know, sort of what that adoption path trajectory what the trajectory has looked like from people adopting ebooks and then maybe reverting back to print or picking up audio instead it feels like audio is the next big thing you know I, um, i'm talking to to people at book riot live all weekend and i would you know just ask them about their reading lives and what they're reading and so much about audio but mm-hmm. i mean so and not surprising since a lot of people there were podcast fans especially the ones that would come up to me that you know listeners of the sh- various shows so I, i'm guessing there's a correlation between people who listen to podcasts and audiobooks so i'm sure it was a um non-representative sample but on the other hand these are also power readers power listeners early adopter types mm-hmm. so that the, the talk was mostly about audiobooks and what they were listening to on audio i thought was really interesting to hear um and a lot of people are, are a lot of people are kind of some version of what i've seemed to have done which is go back to pr- some combination of print and audio um for our for our reading lives which you know who knows what that means but um the bloom is off the rose with, with audiobooks now we're just going to or excuse me with ebooks i we're just going to see if it wilts you know and, and what really happens here um, there's a Note, there's a quote from um, Heather Reisman, who's the CEO of Indigo Books and Music. Who had a good year. Which is a big chain. They had a good year, but she is drawing from her experience saying they think that what's happening is people are recognizing that books are a part of our lives that will keep being a part of our lives. Like books in general are not in danger. Ebook sales have leveled off. Um, And she thinks that that is saying that e-reading is not going to go away people mm-hmm. will continue to read ebooks but they're using ebooks for certain things right. like travel or when you can't carry books around and that other than that in her interpretation people seem to be happy reading print books so maybe the novelty of ebooks is wearing off yeah um but they're they're still here to stay i think we're at least in a place where no one is pulling their hair out worried that the sky is falling that ebooks are going to be the death of print and the death of publishing it it, it does seem happily that we've moved past that concern. I guess the concern would be, I mean, to put a, to be a pro, even traditional public industry spin on a problem with declining ebook sales, you just don't want the industry to stagnate as the rest of the digital world moves forward. Mm -hmm. And so possibly by not promoting ebooks and trying to make the switch to ebooks, that print books are really going to seem like dinosaurs. You yeah, know, like it's possible that that's 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 the the bear case for this isn't good for traditional publishing because I think the most the most common response at least the one I see on Twitter and like the rah rah books part of the bookish internet and real books you're not you know digital books aren't real books is to be happy about this right mm-hmm. you know, like, right yes and to be and I'm not sure I would be careful of that you know 
I don't think we know anything about what this means necessarily, just their relative numbers. Um, I think there's a, there's a reasonable case to be made that this is a bad sign for the traditional book uh, publishing I, world. I agree. Yeah, I don't want to read any more um, ebooks are killing books pieces, but right. I also don't want to read any more, yay, print is still healthy because print is just better pieces. Oh, and that publishing is saved because ebooks because, aren't taking off. Right. It could very well be the opposite. Yeah, we, <laughs> that, and we, we we're don't in know. this sort of weird interregnum between ebooks falling and publishing industry falling apart or something like that. So anyway, um, I think that was the most interesting. That's the most interesting. I think I've seen all year really mm-hmm. about ebooks. So I wanted to pass that along. Amazon released their best books of 2015, um, top 100 picks in print and Kindle. Mm-hmm. Um, they across multiple categories: literature and fiction, mystery, thriller, and suspense, romance, cookbooks food and wine and children's books. I'm going, we don't follow genre too much, um, but let's look at the literary fiction real quick. The number one overall pick, that's, they kind of do one, here's the winner, and then here's everything else. Right. Um, and the winner, not surprisingly, Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. A lot of people love this book. I know you love yep, this. A lot of, I did really a love of A lot of our contributors loved it. I'd say it was probably if I had to pick three or four candidates to have won this, um, this would have been my, you know, mm-hmm. I think this would have been one of those guesses. Yeah. And these are editorial picks at Amazon. Like later in the year, we will get to see yes. Amazon's bestsellers of the year. But these are, Amazon has an editorial team of people who love books and read books and, you know, create content for the Amazon site. And this is where these are coming from. So yeah, there's Fates and Furies, A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Not surprising to see that Not there. Surprising. Um, the Nightingale Which by has Kristen sold a jillion copies. Yeah. This is kind of... I, I need this to read. is kind of like a surprise one, though. That made this list. Yeah. Well, it's the, or everyone's maybe been I've talking about been Girl on the Train. Like this is yeah. you know that has sold a million copies, but the Nightingale, no one's talking about it. It sold a, it has fifteen thousand Amazon reviews. That's true. I mean, just just to give you some par- comparison. Uh, right, where Face Purity, of Furies has yeah. 309. Right. Purity, the Franzen is on the list, and it has 406. And what what's a more buzzier book than that for literary well, fiction. A Little Life even, is 643. So mm-hmm. we're talking 15x. Yeah, here's one I didn't know, um, Circling the Sun, a novel by Paula McLean. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one either. Uh, There's a few the, that I haven't heard of. Uh, let's see. The Last Elena Ferrante, um, that made the list. 13 Ways of Looking, which is a collection of short fiction by Colin McCann that I really loved. That made their editorial list. Did you read Dietland by Sarai Walker? Did you talk about that? I That's... didn't. Um, I have it. I meant to read it on a flight, and then I probably watched four episodes of The Good Wife instead. Oh, yeah. Housefrau <laughs> by Jill Esbaum is a book from oh, earlier in the year that people were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, um, St. Maisie by Jamie Attenberg. City on Fire, the, the giant... We we talked. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about this book since we heard about the deal last the deal, year. Right. I think or the year before even. A while. Uh, Garth Hallberg, City on Fire, is on the list. I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's yeah. super long, but um, there's uh, the Sympathizer by Viet Thanh Nguyen, yeah. um, which I've heard really great things about. Also, Orhan's Inheritance by Oline Ohanesian um, was supposed to be wonderful. Uh, I was going to look at this. It's, it's a look, good. It's an interesting list. Look at nonfiction real real quick. Sure. Your girl, Brene Brown. Um, a girl. Rising Strong mm-hmm. um, is on there. Let's see. Aziz Ansari's um, Modern Romance. We've talked about That's that book great. before. Oh, Between You and Me by Mary Norris, which is a cute, wonderful little book about grammar. Ah. Um, like, it's a funny book about grammar. John Krakauer's uh, Missoula. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Pirate Hunters by Robert Curson. Liberty has talked about over and over. She said it's really wonderful. Um, Let's see. What else? Oh, John Ronson. So you've been publicly That's shamed. That's on there. Is there a business? There's there's a lot of different ways to skin this particular list. I'm just looking to see what else. Oh, there's, we talk there's about memoirs. Books. Is there a memoir section? Uh, maybe. Yeah, there's two books about North Korea on the nonfiction list. There should be a biography and memoir. Yeah. Oh, yeah, biography and memoir. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and mm. Me, is their leader. Um, Gloria Steinem, My Life on the Road. Oh, Misbehaving. My favorite nonfiction of the book is on the nonfiction list. Um, the Making of Behavioral Economics by Bob Thaler. <sighs> It's super great. Oh, and H is for Hawk by Helen hey, McDonald, which is just a knockout that of a is book. A hell of a book. Sally uh, Mann's memoir, Hold Still. Oliver Sacks' final book, On the Move, uh, his memoir, also made the list. Became, Becoming Steve Jobs, I listened to that this year, um, was excellent. It's not the one, the most recent terrible movie, apparently. was. It was mm. not based on... It's apparently terrible. I've not seen it. I know it for a fact that The Becoming Steve Jobs is not based on that. Yeah. Uh, oh, audiobooks. They've got best oh, audiobooks. Oh, I wanted to see that. 
the girl on the train took home mm. the prize. Oh, Dave McCullough, Wright Brothers, was under biography and memoir. Uh, the Kaling uh, is on yeah, the why audiobooks. Not me? Mindy Kaling. The Aziz Ansari is in the audiobooks. One oh, of, our as, favorite as book. Is Kristen Hanna. Our favorite book's on here, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. <laughs> we're we're going to sell a million copies of those. So it looks like it audiobooks could you could be you could double dip you could be on the other one of yes. the other lists and then also on audiobook. Mm-hmm. And well, it's interesting the how th- people really like the thrillers on audiobook. Yeah. I remember when Gone Girl was out, how many of our contributors read it on audio and talked mm-hmm. about what that experience was like. I'm happy that Aziz Ansari and Mindy Kaling are both on yeah, the, the Elon book Musk list. book is on here. I've got that on my Audible account to uh, queue up here pretty quick. The mm-hmm. Wright brothers, the Wright brother McCall is such a great. <laughs> I could listen to mm-hmm. McCall and narrate. Uh, virtually any book um, and I'd be in Dead Wake by Eric Larson. Anyway, you know, no, no huge stuff. surprises. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything I'm not seeing here uh, that uh, I might expect. Yeah, Neil, uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman Overture Deluxe Edition took home the prize for comics and graphic mm-hmm. novels. Um, my fave, Bitch Planet by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Valentine Delandro um, is also on the list, as is Nimona. Yes, I love that. Bat I read Girl, that this year. Gotham Academy, good list of uh, graphic novels. History, you get too. The Witches by Stacey Schiff, which a lot of people were reading mm-hmm. at Book Riot Live also. Sarah Vowell's new book, Lafayette in the Summer United States. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean th- if you're looking for stuff to read, this is a pretty good list to peruse, I would say, uh, on the whole. This is a pretty good look at the year yeah. in books. And uh, I would assume, I don't know, I'm just guessing, that the Amazon editors are are possibly considering sales and what's popular, what people, yeah, what readers have demonstrated interest in. I don't know. Um, especially because that, that Kristen Hanna book has 15,000 stars and right. uh, A Little Life has like 600. But they're, they're paying attention at least to what the buzz is about um, in the same way that editors of other book sites are paying attention. Um, but there are a lot of good, surprising, under-the-radar picks here, too. It's really interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting list. Um, um, and you know, a good snapshot. I wouldn't say it's a particularly radical, uh, no. but no, but also not every title is things we know. So that's you know, that, that's that's an interesting list. Uh, I mean, also let's go on because now I think I follow this more maybe more closely than even the recommendations and lists. But good, the Goodreads Choice Award mm-hmm. saga. Yeah. Um, we're down to the finalists, I think, now. Um, we went from the long list to the short list. Is that right? Am I, uh, am I... this, we're in the semifinals the now. The semifinals now. And we can go vote. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the same thing. You know, you're going to see a lot of the same titles. Oh, uh, yeah, we're in the semifinals. So that means there's basically 20, one, two, three, yeah, of 20 mm-hmm. final or semifinalists in each category. Then there's one more round. Um, so those are available, uh, even more than voting, just to browse to see what. Yeah, because uh, this on is there. where you know where Amazon's list, where our list at Book Riot, where a Publishers Weekly list is going to be driven by editorial right. selection, um, and with you know whatever that publication's goals or agenda might be. The Goodreads list is driven by Vox Populi. Yeah, what people are reading, what they're rating on Goodreads, what's popular. And so more than anything else that we see in a given year, the Goodreads Choice Awards is a reflection of the year in books and of where the industry is moving. And so uh, for things like... But it's also not um, a bestseller list because these are book nerds who care enough to A, have a Goodreads account and then B, vote on semi-final. Right, like Like they've read The Girl on the Train, but they've also likely read the obscure like mid-list title that others haven't read, um, which makes, I think, the Goodreads user and like power book nerds are just so interesting in what their habits are. Um, the first time I really was keyed into that, I think, was when uh, when the the Divergent won the mm-hmm. overall, I think, of the overall book for the Goodreads Choice Award like three years ago, whenever that was. And I was like, I hadn't even heard of the book at that point. It was way before uh-huh. the movies come out. And I was like, whoa, it really is a, it's its own it's its own flavor of ice cream over there. And I, mm-hmm. I find it interesting. And I think the most interesting part is when you get to the finalists, I think there's five. There's usually yeah. one or two that are kind of uh, curveballs. Like there'll be well, three you, you kind of expect, and then two like, huh, that's interesting. And, and I'm most interested the, in those two. The fiction list itself is a – like that's a nice – 
illustration of how this happens for for power readers because you can see a little life you can see fates and furies you can see the jojo moyas after you which was huge uh, you can see go set a watchman and purity but also there's our souls at night by kent harrow yes. which is this tiny quiet little I book love that kent Hruff, i love him too he's never gonna like never well, gonna win <laughs> he's never gonna win he's but, also never gonna yeah. be like hugely popular but if ever he has a shot it's with the kinds of people who are voting at goodreads and reading a jillion books a year. And you can't just live in the bestsellers if you're reading that heavily. None of us can just live no. in the bestsellers. Um, what else on here is surprising, maybe? Um, Trail of Broken Wings by Sajal Badani. That was a new title to me. Uh, Science, the Royal pre- pri- Science Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera, a book I haven't mm, heard about. It's a book mm-hmm. in translation. I'm super interested in that all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. My grandmother asked me to tell you She's Sorry by Frederick Backman. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. Inside the O'Briens by Lisa Genova, Genova, I guess. Oh, she wrote um, After Alice, which yeah. was really or, uh, big still a couple Alice, years ago. Still Alice, still right. Alice. Too many books with Alice. Yeah. Uh, Sarah Addison Allen's First Frost, I haven't heard of. You know what mm-hmm. sold a ton? A Spool of Blue Thread by Ann yes, Tyler Ann sold Tyler. a ton this year. Um, Trail of Broken Wings by Sajal Hadani is one I've seen. So you know, I when I'm looking for deals, I often look at the ratings oh, just to see that how one's many, new to me. just to see how many um, ratings it has. Its relative popularity and that one has come up again and again. Has sold hmm. a bunch of books this year. And there's there's it's, we we gravitate to litfic because that's kind of both what we track the most, but also right. there's fantasy, sci-fi, all, all the categories you want. Um, so yeah, that's a good list as well. All right, let's get into like newsy. That's not really, I mean, it is news, but it's kind mm-hmm. of cyclical end it's of year just, news. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Let us know if you guys are, I know tons of you are Goodreads yeah. users. So what's interesting to you about this list of And they get like millions of votes, or, right? Like, I mean, so they many. get so and they, many votes. They show how many votes. There's always a little ticker. So um, it's transparent as well, which is super fascinating. Um, do you want to hear about the hero of the I week? I do want to hear about the hero I of the week. I just discovered this piece this morning and it has renewed my hope for humanity. This is a good story. I, I, um, I, I cheated and looked a little, but tell me about it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, Marie Wilcox is an 81-year-old Native American woman. She's from the San Joaquin Valley in California, um, and she is a Wukchumni is the name of her tribe. Um, she is the last living fluent speaker of her native language. And now that she is in her late 80s, uh, and she wants, she wants to preserve this language for the sake of it being preserved and also for herself. Um, so she learned to type so that she could create a dictionary of the Wukchumni language. Um, it, it's estimated that before European contact, there were more than 50,000 uh, Yokut Indians, uh, Native Americans, and um, in the same region where uh, Marie is from. And today it's estimated that fewer than 200 Wukchumni remain. She is the last fluent speaker of the language. And this is what she is doing with her with, with her final years. She's 81. She learned to type so that she could preserve this language, um, which uh, the, the Jezebel piece that I'm reading um, talks about this being beautiful and singular and hopeless you know, with only mm. 200 people remaining. But what a I think that makes it an even more powerful thing that she's doing. There's a 10 minute documentary that you can watch as well, which is definitely worth your 10 minutes. But um, talk about uh, a hero, not a specific book story, but a language, language and words story. Yeah. Story. It's really wonderful. Um, she's an interesting lady who must have lived quite a life. She was born on Thanksgiving in 1933, and here in 2015, she has learned to type so that she can create a dictionary. Remarkable, remarkable, and mm-hmm. and I don't I'm hopeless. I don't know. I mean, I don't know either. At some point, I'm assuming no one will speak English. Does that mean everything we do in English is hopeless? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. And there's it's a monument. It's a monument. In, I think that's fair. But right, that's a really nice way to think of it. And it will. This will then exist for the future for right. understanding um, American history and Native American history and the path that our culture has traveled. Um, it's. I think it's just a really lovely, beautiful thing to be doing and just what an interesting lady and what an interesting life in book news stories that if you told me them five years ago I'd be like that sounds about right uh five years <laughs> late for i mean i'm glad i'm glad that barnes and noble's finally launching an audiobook dedicated app but <laughs> but the train is out of the station uh it's down around the bend uh it's it's picking up speed and they're like you know what I, i've heard of trains 
It's just, is this weird? I mean, it's I guess weird. it's good. I've tried to get audiobooks on my uh, Nook app before, and it's, uh, it's, you search this, for them, it's bad. God, it's terrible. This feels very like we joke offline about, like, well, because publishing. Yeah. Like, why did this thing take five years? I mean, I, we needed this publishing. three years ago. I mean, Audible has just been eating their lunch. Like, I like Audible. I subscribe to Audible. I have nothing really but great things to say about Audible, but I also like competition. Mm-hmm. Um, because audiobooks, the pricing pressure is still not really there for most audiobooks. And a lot of people have, you know, Barnes & Noble accounts, a lot of affinity for Barnes & Noble. Um, I was one that if they had had this a couple years ago, maybe they have a customer. I don't know if they can yeah. do anything about it now. I guess better late than never. Yeah, um, it, I think very it's very tough. Last year, they launched the um, Nook audiobooks service, but just now they've gotten iPhone and iPad apps and a website where you can buy the audiobooks. It's nookaudiobooks.com. Um, you can get the new app if you have a, a, an Apple device in iTunes, and that will let you listen to audiobooks, but you'll have to go onto um, a, a web browser to purchase them. Just like them Audible. I mean, right, just, just like anything know, but iTunes. In a- because Apple is Apple. You apparently can make in-app audiobook purchases on the Android app, though. And it has, you know, more than 60,000 audiobook yeah. titles. I think there's, there is strong interest in an Amazon alternative um, in, in the industry, and we know among our readers that many of you, or readers and listeners, want to support non on Amazon entities. So it's nice yeah. that now there is this option. It is just so late in the game to start competing. Um, I I hope that they'll figure it out and and you know at least take a swing at yeah, offering some sort of reasonable alternative. Um, I think if they could do anything with pricing, if they could do anything at all with um, you know some sort of different model uh, that they got a shot, but boy. It's tough to come in this late of the game. This is one of those where I was like, when I think someone I saw I I linked to it in Critical Link the other day, but someone had posted in our in our book right contributor Slack. I was like, wait, Nook does. I just assumed that as after I had sort of hitched my wagon to Audible for a while, that one had come out, and so I, and I just mm. missed it. But so I no. was surprised. Like, was this a story from two years ago? I guess it guess it wasn't. <laughs> Speaking of stories, you can't quite believe you're seeing. Um, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go over to. Uh, crazy banning land for just a minute. Now, if you were going to give me a list of authors that I would be shocked to see removed from a reading list, I have to say Jumbo Lahiri is one of them because I've read all of her books and I don't even know what... The, the, this I, piece doesn't even say what the objection yeah, is to Yeah, you. and I, I have racked my brain for this also because I've read all of her books and... I, as impossible to offend as I am, I can at least remember like, oh, that book had some naughty parts in it. And I just don't recall anything naughty at all in Jhumpa Lahiri. But what has happened is that an ad hoc literature committee, which already I have questions, who are the people on this mm-hmm. ad hoc literature committee, assembled by the kerr Deline School District in Idaho, has removed, has recommended removing the namesake from a list of books that are approved for the the, the county's high school curriculum. Uh, The same committee voted last year to remove Of Mice and Men from a list of books that teachers may assign to high school freshmen, and they garnered national media attention. We might have talked about that, and we just don't remember that it was the same thing. Yeah, and the long list of ridiculousness. The rest of this is also interesting. Um, The committee's recommendation initiated a 30-day review period, and in that period, the school board is going to solicit public input on whether it should remove the book from a reading list, the goal of which is to identify what the community threshold is for appropriate literature. Boy, nothing gives me the hive so much as the community threshold for appropriate mm-hmm. literature. Like, and, next the, the are co- we going to... Cordaline School, I mean, this is how they get news. Like, this is their move to get into the newspaper. <laughs> like, they take something relatively, you know, uh, unimpeachable and then and, and drag it out and see... The, the, I, I just the, the thing, I imagine that these community hearings are like those scenes in Footloose, you know, yeah, or the, with, or the one in <laughs> Field of Dreams, which we've talked about right. before. Um, the, the 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 adjective that gets me, and I guess it's one of my we talked about this before, uh, mm-hmm. is the the second word in this piece is ad hoc, right. and I think that's the thing that's getting to me these days as much as anything. All of the challenges have this sort of ad hoc response. It's cobbled together, consensus building, crap. Where really, like, if you're if you're if you now work in a, a school where some books are taught to kids, you've got to be you got to be ready 
for them to come with pitchforks for the freaking namesake? You, I mean, as sad as that is, I think you have to be ready. You can't let it be some sort of ad hoc thing where the agency is coming from those who would oppose and ban and strip and uh, forget and, and, and erase. You can't let them be the first movers. And so you have to be on the defensive because who's going to show up to the 30-day review period? It's not, the, it's not the silent majority who would sort of just rather things go along and let people – you're going to get the fire-breathing banners and maybe a small contingent of people who are there in sort of an abstract way because they don't care about this particular book. They sort of more care about um, school boards being assaulted by, by people with nothing better to worry about than the right. freaking namesake of all yeah. books. Right. Two weeks ago, when we were in book banning corner talking about it, we were discussing you know, putting giving the power back to educators who are the experts to be making the decisions about what should be taught. And you know, like I can't imagine any other decisions that we would or very many other decisions that we would leave up to ad hoc committees. Like if you need a heart transplant or surgery, you're not like, well, let me survey my neighbors about how they feel yeah. about offering heart transplants to and they, the community. And this, this community has been down this road last year at National Media Team. like, well, I guess we better not prepare for that again since we just went through a three-ring circus for it. Like, I don't know, man. Maybe they don't want it's, to. They don't want to have a system in place so that they maybe they want – maybe the school district wants or has acceded or acquiesced or is just beaten down and mm-hmm. they don't really want to – to, to, to mount a full-throated defense, which it's not their fault. I don't re- I don't blame them. I shouldn't... It's a terrible position to be it in. It is a terrible position to be in, but I wish there was some sort of like first line of defense where there, there was some mechanisms for slowing down and say, you know, should we even have a review committee? Sure. Well, and also maybe someone just needs to say, okay, we're trying to establish the community threshold. If 20 people show up to this meeting... Uh, you know, and 15 of those 20 oppose the book. Still, all we know is that 15 people in this community oppose this book, and this community is made up of thousands of people. So 15 loud people don't get to win. Yeah, um, I guess. But that piece, that piece seems to be missing. Um, I do want to also say we have heard and received the feedback that um, y'all have sent us about talking about book banning, about the length or the depth of the discussions. And we're going to continue to talk about these banning attempts because we believe it's a thing that should be paid attention to, but we're going to um, try to stay focused more on what's happening in the specific places. And yeah. then, then, you know, we're going to try not to say the same arguments over and over again. We'll probably succeed with very sort of informational, really. Um, <laughs> right. and, and it's kind of a game the universe is playing with as the increasingly unbelievable books that to get big. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know what's coming next. Goodnight Moon? Are we going to, I don't know. Uh, 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 I don't even, I, you know what? I can't even name, that's the thing. I can't even, I think we talked about this the other week too. Mm-hmm. I can't even name a book that's unimpeachable that's like interesting for someone over the age of 14. Right. Like you could make a case against any, uh, I don't know. Anyway. I can't think of a single book I don't that even has know. Like, shaped my life that is not a f- potentially offensive in some way. Well, not even shaped somebody, my life, but yeah. didn't even put me to – wasn't even the, the literary right, equivalent of the snooze button. Right, I don't just know. held your attention. So anyway, um, ad hoc committee. That's I've decided it's my new least favorite mm-hmm. term in uh, K-12 pedagogical circles. I would agree. Um, no, it's, a, it's a short list of least favorite terms, but there's one. Uh, anyway, you know, let's do another sponsor real quick because we, we're not doing new books this week because of the afterhang, as we said before. <laughs> Penguin Random House Audio is back. Uh, they, they are back and they're talking about a couple of things. One is we've talked about a lot of different ways you can use audiobooks to fill in sort of the, the niches in your life where books can go mm-hmm. into. But one thing that happens in book clubs, especially if there's, you know, most book clubs sort of have a spectrum of seriousness in their reading uh, of the book, either from book club to book club or member to member in a book club. But one thing that the PRH uh, audio is suggesting that we really hadn't talked about before is that if you've got a book club and you ha- you are the member or you have a member that is always wanting to finish the book but never quite getting there and figuring out a right time or how to get the the reading into their their monthly or whatever your your rhythm for your book right uh, excuse me your book club is <laughs> that that is a way to do it. Have you try an audio book? Um, because people everyone has errands. Um, you know when they're not home shaving they're running errands. Um, and this is a good way. And sometimes it's the, the, the reader in a book club that's that's lagging that maybe doesn't know how great audiobooks now, how easy it is with your phone or your computer. Um, so that's one thing. So you can go to penguinrandhouseaudio.com slash book club for title suggestions and another advice to help you get going. The other thing they're talking about, they've got giveaways. Their December giveaway is a, is a uh, speaking of best of 2015, 
it's a best of 2015 bundle of awesome. audiobook giveaway. You can go to the link in the show notes, uh, penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash book club, or the link in the show notes to enter there. I think it's a surprise basket. I don't have any titles here, though I know Rising Strong um, mm-hmm. from Brene Brown is a PRH title. Um, next on my audiobook list, actually next is Elon Musk. I don't know if that's PRH or not. But after that, it's the new Cerval, the Lafayette in the somewhat United States, um, which is out from Riverhead, which is oh. a port- Part of Penguin. How did you come out on the wordy shipmates? I really liked it. You know, it's super short. I I like it. I need to I need to reframe my what I'm expecting because I've been reading so many like I don't know. This is a fun sort of history with a perspective, I guess. And I've been coming out of like David McCulloughland, which is mm-hmm. very like you know authorial PBS narration voice. So it took me about a hundred pages to get into it, but I finally was like, oh okay, I'm I'm in I'm in now. So yes, I definitely really liked it. Um, and looking forward to, to, to devouring the rest of the vowel, uh, devouring it, I De- guess. Devouling, devouring, devouring the vowel. Yeah. <laughs> devouling, it's like I'm trying to say disembowel and it's coming out wrong. Um, so thanks so much to PRH Audio for sponsoring this and a bunch of other Book Riot podcasts uh, and then everything that we do here. That's all they recommend. Oh, The Girl in the Spider's Web uh, has sold a million copies this year. We're going to need a couple more of those. That's out new from them. Um, yeah, so uh, those are some guesses. I don't know what's in the prize pack, but the best of 2015, probably if you looked at that Amazon best of 2015 audiobook list, there's some PRH titles. So you have a sense it's of, probably going to have the girl on the train. Uh, probably will. Probably will. Though probably already one already has it who's interested in audiobooks. Um, so anyway, thanks so much for sponsoring. All right, got a couple more stories here. We do. Oh, this is, oh um, boy. Okay. Yeah, Where do you want to go well, next? I want to go to continuing this year's theme of stuff we found in oh, grandma's attic. Yes. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Good. Um, there's a lost short story from Edith Wharton that was discovered. Um, it's actually been there all along. It was in Yale's Beinecke Rare Book and Manuscript Library. It takes up nine pages in all um, about the anxious operations of Parisian society during World War One. Um, six of the pages are typeset. They have edits and annotations. Um, the next page is composed of strips of paper. And then the next two after that are composed entirely of fragments. And a graduate student or actually a postdoctoral um, fellow named Alice Kelly, um, you know, identified this and calls it um, Wharton cut and paste, um, which apparently this is a way that Edith Wharton really liked to work by cobbling together um, different pieces of paper and different fragments of things as she was working. Um, So you can read, uh, this is from the Atlantic, you can see little snapshots and you can read an analysis of the story. But here's one more thing that was sitting around that is very notable. Mm. And now we have it. It was never published. Um, They say it's impossible to determine whether in the mind of its author, the story is complete. Um, And it was never published. But it seems clear that the author was Edith Wharton. And that it was written around 1918 or 1919. Yeah, I mean, I guess there must be just sort of untold riches waiting to be discovered. It'd be cool, like... I don't know, maybe a Dan, maybe we've talked about this before, Dan Brown literary mystery, kind of the lost, Mm -hmm. the the lost manuscript of Mark Twain or something. But it would be cool to know, like, if you could just, I don't know, see in a crystal ball and like, what is out there that hasn't been found yet? Not where it is necessarily, but like, what is actually just out there still? Because there's got to be like gems and probably some of it will never be found and it'll get lost in a flood or fire or sold or thrown away. Or in how much has already been lost. Oh, see, that's that's too sad. This is this is fun. (laughs) I'm fun. You're sad. That's what we just established right here. Um, Yeah, that is definitely the theme. Yeah, that's the theme, the the underlying theme of of all these shows. We finally got to it, uh, the, the Cliff Notes version of the Book Riot podcast for you. Um, so that's cool. And is, I'm sorry, did it say when it was going to be published or is it published? Um, I didn't see if it was going to be published, but you can see most of the pages. Yeah. In How this does Atlantic copyright work piece? on something like that? Oh. Does the Wharton estate, is it? Because like all of other her titles good. are in uh, Our public, public domain, domain right? but I don't know what so, the law is about something you just found. I don't either. Maybe someone listening knows yeah. the answer to Anyone that question. Else? Or does like the Yale yeah. Beinecke Rare Book Probably. Library own the stuff? Yeah. Because... I, I don't know. Yeah, but re- um, those of you who know the answer to this probably means you're a lawyer. Reserve, re- resist the urge to bill us at ten thousand dollars to answer the question. <laughs> um, other what, weird. This is publishing. a crazy freaking story. Which one? Uh, this so this reviewer, this eighteen year old reviewer, <gasps> yes, reviewed yeah, someone's mm-hmm. self published novel, didn't treat it kindly, um, and this this dude. Richard Britton, with two T's, went 500 miles and, like, tried to hit her with a bottle. 
Yes, he traveled from London to Scotland because she wrote a negative review of his, I, th- I believe it was fan fiction that he published at Wattpad. Yeah. And she wrote a negative review of his work. And so he traveled 500 miles to beat her. Um, and she has said if he had hit her any harder, she probably would have died. There are some really bracing photos Ugh. in the Daily Mail of um, what she looked like after the attack and of, of how this happened. I I mean, there's nothing to say she about this. She was at this. work. She was at work. She's a, um, what, a bagger or a checker at a grocery chain, it looks like. Yeah. Um, she's a shelf stacker at a, a British or Scottish uh, chain of stores. And uh. a man tracked her down over 500 miles because she said negative things about his work, and he beat her. Um, so let's talk some more about how the internet is safe for women. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man. Like... I don't know if this is just like there's enough book stuff online that the, the craziness that people will ha- have happened to them. But I yeah, don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Like this is cra- – I crazy. hate to feed in the stereotype of self-published authors as, as being, I don't know, something other than regular people. Let's put it that way. But this is seems war- this I, I guess it's just this guy has a problem and it, mm-hmm. it just it just became when this nuts. guy has a history as well. Um, I was talking about it on Twitter and someone I'm sorry, I can't remember who you are, but thank you for sending it to me, sent me a story about how um, he had previously tried to launch something that he referred to as benevolent stalking. Which, um, so that's not a thing, by the way. That is not a thing. Um, he has a, a history of violent or malicious behavior. With women, um, I don't think it has so much to do with being self-published as with. No, it doesn't. You know, this is it a, doesn't. it's a thing that we see over and over that sometimes authors have a hard time with receiving negative reviews of their work and they re- react very inappropriately. I, but last year we had Kathleen Hale, yeah. who is a huge, you know, mainstream published author who was also stalking her negative reviewers and like ringing their doorbells and calling their places of work. Um, I guess the thing I, for I, me I, is that sometimes in traditional publishing, an author has a little more support system, like an agent mm-hmm. and an editor that can kind of talk to them about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and put some things into perspective. But like, don't travel 500 miles and beat someone over the head with a bottle of wine should not be a thing that anyone I think don't talk to anyone who's reviewed you in any way is the, that's the line. I mean, there's no, Mm -hmm. this this never, no one comes out looking good. No one's ever like, you know, I went to confront someone who gave me a negative review and they come out looking better on the other side. Like that's a story that's never, ever been written and never, ever will be. It's never going to end well, um, and I would assume that there are stories like this in other forms of media where reviewing happens. Like I assume, sadly, that there are musicians who are also going after people yeah, who negatively review their work online it. or actors, and we just don't hear it because of publishing. But this again falls under you know that heading of stuff we have to talk about because it's important that um, and be careful share, out there. I mean, that's yes. a thing for you guys. A lot of you are on Goodreads and you have blogs and uh, you write for our site or other sites like. What, be careful out there with your personal information and your profiles on Wattpad or other places because people are reading and, you know, authors are just like other people, unfortunately, and, and fortunately, for better or worse. And some of them are going to do some bad things, and I don't want them to do it to you. Um, and that, you know, we can't control what how people respond to the opinions that we have online, but be aware of the risks that are involved. And we want our listeners and the Book Rat community to also be aware of the risks because we've talked about on on previous shows about the harassment that particularly the women of Book yeah. Rat, but also that you and other writers um, for the site have experienced simply for existing online as people who have opinions, um, harassment and abuse. And that happens on, I think, all websites in most communities, but women and people of color and trans people are, are most at risk um, for these things. And so we're going to continue talking about um, the risk that people take when they simply speak up about having an opinion. And, you know, I, I don't want the, you know, I, n- I never know. I, I'm not as good as this as I could be. And I, I'm trying to learn more about, but, you know, I don't want to be the, the be careful with, be careful out there to be the call of like, don't wear a short skirt sort of thing. I want you to, I want you to write and have your opinions. Um, but I also want, if you see someone doing something to you or someone else, email somebody at Wattpad. Yes. I mean, do, do, I don't know if it'll do anything or not, but, tell somebody if you have a suspicion or someone is just even being weird or inappropriate or you know someone who's being weird and inappropriate tell somebody about that this is someone to keep an eye out for um do what you can to help yourself and help each other 
and feel empowered to know that no one deserves your no. time or your attention online. And anyone who makes you feel squicky, you have or threatened, you have the right to block that person in any and all ways that are available to you yeah. to block them. You don't have to interact you with them. You don't owe them an explanation online. or a conciliation you to, or you yeah, don't owe them the time be, of day. You don't have to email them back or message them back if they want to talk to you about the negative review that you wrote. Um, it It is your right as a person who reads and has ideas about things to share those ideas. It is their right to be upset about them, but you don't owe them anything. And if you do feel threatened, please, you know, feel that and please feel and know that you can take action about that. Um, there was probably nothing. Actually, I feel confident that there was nothing Paige Rowland could have done to keep this person from no, tracking no, her down. No, and, more of an example. Yeah, and like, I know maybe you know they, that maybe too. Maybe he messaged but, her something. On, I'm just saying if something like this happened to mm -hmm. you, that there might be early signs. And if it's a traditionally published author and they have a publisher or an imprint, you can certainly yeah. complain to them. Um, and if you ever, you know, if you do need help finding a contact, feel free to email us and we can mm -hmm. try to do something. I don't know what we can do, but there's other support well, out there for it. We know too many people have had, not this, this is just the most extreme we've seen on the spectrum. No, no one deserves any of this, but it's, it's a good time. It's a good chance to talk about a little bit. Um, especially feeling a little, not vulnerable necessary, but I was, we were in both in a space with 1100 other people mm -hmm. this weekend and everyone was super cool, but you know, not everyone will always be super cool, unfortunately, as much as I might like it. So uh, take care of yourselves. Talk to somebody. Um, and if you are yourself an author. Don't you know, do this. Don't even, you know, leave reviewers. Just leave reviewers alone. Just leave them alone. Nothing good comes out of it. Okay. Um, oh, let's, yeah, let's end here. Let's end with this uh, experiential indie bookstore. Mm -hmm. What is this? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so a tech entrepreneur who was formerly an advisor to David Cameron is going to open an 830 square foot experiential independent bookstore in East London. Um, it's going to be in an old carpet factory. They're transforming it into a quote unquote utopian workspace. Or no, they did transform something previously into a utopian workspace. Um the rooms look like fish tanks. There's mismatching decor, an indoor hanging garden area in which electronic devices are banned. It's This thing is designed to attract millennials. Oh, so it's God. a bookstore for – so like, this is a bookstore for millennials based on what some tech people think millennials are. A house of um, bar, a turntables, in-house printing press. Uh there was, I guess, an anonymous job advertisement for a general manager that ran in the bookseller recently, and it caused a stir on social media um, because they were looking for a highly dynamic and bookish general manager to create an interdisciplinary space that crosses books with booze. Okay, well, I'm interested. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a useful counter to the Amazon bookstore, which is sure, a right? bookstore this, with an Amazon label on it and some it's other at stuff. Least something trying to be. Yeah. Different. But like our bookstore is not already experiential. I guess I guess there's just more stuff going on. It's more like um it's more like it, it you know what it looks like to me? It kind of reminds me of what they try to do with like a student union. Mm. You know, where there's like some mm -hmm. places to sit and coffee yeah. and some other kind of entertainments. Um it's two thousand two floors. They're gonna have five to six thousand titles, which weirdly is exactly the same number. Yeah, the exactly Amazon. the same vague number <laughs> given in the Amazon piece. It's eight hundred and thirty square meters, which actually no one knows how big that is because it's meters and it's it's incomprehensible. Not even the Brits know what they're doing really. They could be at Buckingham Palace, it, it could be a, a tube station. They're going to hold events. Um, as you said, they're going to have an in-house printing press. And they're thinking about the bookshop as an experience where you can see physical books being printed and bound, which adds texture. And then they say these That's are things a physical bookshop can do that Amazon can't. Except. Except. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon is going <laughs> to. Just wait for it. Um, it's, it's, it's a cool-looking building. It's, yeah, it looks really pretty. It's, it's, there's, there, it is remarkable – how if you just showed someone pictures of it without any context and asked mm -hmm. them to guess what it was. It doesn't uh, look like a bookstore. It would, they would never guess a bookstore. Maybe it looks more like, like one of these modern like startup offices, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Like there's a lot of places to sit, different kinds of chairs, weird windows. Um, it's got a color palette out of like a Kandinsky painting. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't look like a someplace where you're going to go buy books. Now, maybe that's – I mean, maybe there's something to that. We've often talked back and forth about, you know, what a – uh, what would a, a modern spin on a bookstore 
look like, though on, on some level, maybe it's like trying to think, rethink what a grocery store looks like. I, it's You got to have groceries. You got to have books. I, I'm not really sure. I do like the idea. I mean, you know, my thing is you got to have coffee. Mm-hmm. You just have, if you have a good coffee set up, I think you're already well ahead of the game. I mean, I don't. No millennial I know doesn't like to drink tea or coffee. So yeah, and I'm I'm here for them saying it's going to offer a glass of whiskey for tip for customers who want a tipple while they sit down to you read know, a book. That's that's my wheelhouse. We're just as likely to hear a new DJ set as find a new author. I mean, maybe it's just sort of like a culture store. Mm. Maybe that's a way of thinking about it. It's like books mm-hmm. among is is one vector, you know, music and you could have film screenings and books and that sort of nature because it it, it has, it's like a bookstore that has music and wine and other kinds of events. Well, it sounds like an event space that has happens to sell books, which might be a cool thing. It's sure. just interesting they're leading with the bookstore uh angle on it. So, um we'll have a link in the show notes if you want to go take a look and uh, be be amazed. If you're in East London, keep an eye out for it and go on a little book riot. Yeah, maybe when you're going to see it. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child next summer, you could go check it out then uh, for us. I think that's our show. I think it is too. Uh, let's see. We made it. We made it. We got through the, the day, the, the week after. Um, as always, you can find show notes for this and all previous episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash podcast. If you've got a question, comment, or feedback for us, you can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. We do take a look at all of those. Uh, find me on Twitter at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L, with no apostrophe because the world hates us with apostrophes. Uh, you can find Rebecca Shinsky at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. You can follow everything the site does at Book Riot. We're also all over social media. we got Tumblrs and YouTubes and Pinterest. Uh, and uh, what else do we got? Facebook and Instagram. Twitter. And Instagram and Tumblr. Um, so if you have a social media presence of choice, search for us there. Find us there. We're posting all sorts of stuff to all those different channels. Um, it's a good way to keep up with the site. Thank you so much to our three sponsors. This week we had Penguin Roundhouse Audio. We had Harry's.com. In Whispers by author Lisa Jackson, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.